You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 31 of the MXU podcast. 31. It's. I feel like I'm in a time warp because I don't even know what day it is these days because no. of the whole COVID-19 thing. So it could be 31, it could be 91, it could be 12. I don't know. It's crazy. I don't know. I've been in my house for almost two and a half weeks straight. I've left for the post office twice and the grocery store once. <laughs> and you're not even technically quarantined. You're just sort of at a stay-at-home state. So right. for those of you who are still actually able to get out and about, congratulations. You know, the rest of us uh, are struggling. I think the novelty has definitely worn off. It has worn off, but you know we're taking this time seriously in that we want to help the church, and there's lots of problems and challenges and new opportunities for everyone. So our guest today is a, a professional, world-class, one of the best on the planet, video director, engineer extraordinaire, Rusty Anderson. Wait, 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 wait. MXU is talking about video? Yeah, yeah. You didn't know that we we do video now, too, so we're full stop AVL? Well, I've seen a couple of our uh, MXU Now videos talking about DSLR cameras, and I I wasn't sure if that was real or a dream. Yeah, here's how this happens. So okay. MXU was just a hobby for Jeff and Andrew and I to get better at mixing. All of a sudden... It grows a lot. We have to hire some staff. And then the staff last week started doing videos on their own. So, I mean, there's nothing like a global pandemic to get people bored enough that they would actually want to make videos about making videos. Right. So our <laughs> our team um, basically came to us and said, hey, we're adding videos of about video. There's churches that need help. And we went, hey, that's what we were created to do. So absolutely, let's do it. So you'll notice a lot of content. We're trying to get stuff out every day if we can on Instagram, Facebook, free stuff on YouTube, and for our subscribers on MXU Now. There's um, lighting and video and really basic rudimentary stuff on DSLR cameras, which you're going to hear a lot about that today with Rusty. So please go check that out. Um, and then... Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Another interruption. Sorry. So we started as just doing a couple of live events. Yeah. But now... We can't be live in front of anybody anymore, so we need to fill everybody in on our live event plan because it really is kind of changing. Right. So May 18th, we were supposed to do a live event in Chicago. I was actually really excited about that. I was not excited about the expensive Airbnb that we had to get, but I was excited <laughs> about everything else. Um, so we've postponed it, and the new date is August. Remind me. 25th and 26th. 25th and 26th in Chicago. Correct. Wait, 25th and 26th? Two days? Yes. MXU Live is now a two-day event. That's right, it is. What you know about it. <laughs> Ice cold. Audio on the first day, lighting on the second. Get you some. It's did happening. You say, did you say ice cold and ice get cold, you some? Get you some. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. I've been watching too much Carl Lentz Instagram Live. I like it. Anyway, two-day event in Chicago. The first day is going to be audio, just as you know it. The best audio non-conference event on planet Earth. Mic drop. Second day, best lighting event non-conference that you've never been to because no one has yet. <laughs> With 
Daniel Cannell. That's right. And and other special guests. Yep. And we're not even going to tell you who they are yet because it's we, a surprise. Or we don't know yet. So Or it's ice cold. <laughs> yeah. So go check that out. Tickets are for sale right now on the website. Yes. yes. MXU.rocks is the way to find out all the details about MXU Live, about MXU Now, and about uh, everything else about MXU. All right. Let's get cracking to our guest and stop doing sales pitches. But that was funny. That was. Ice cold, in fact. All right. Rusty Anderson coming up. Okay. So for a little backstory and a little background, for those of you who don't know Rusty, um, Rusty has been the main video director for Passion, both at Passion City Church and Passion Conferences for years now. Rusty and I first met each other, um, I guess almost 10 years ago, when Passion City Church was still uh, roaming around Atlanta, meeting uh, on Sunday nights at four different rotating venues throughout the city. I first met Rusty's wife, Kirsten, when she was one of the uh, live producers for Passion City Church, and then got to know Rusty. And then Rusty came out with us on a few Tomlin tours back in the day. I think the first one was the the last of a too long run of the And If Our God Is For Us tour. I think we That's referred right. to it as the the solid D market venue tour, um, which was <laughs> not a great introduction for you for what touring is like. A lot of a lot of like school gymnasiums in the uh, northeast part of our country. It's a good time. Yeah, we decided anytime you see the words War Memorial in the name of the <laughs> venue, it's going to be a rough day. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, there was one where it was the venue where Elvis most famously said, you know, or he, the promoter of the venue said, Elvis has left the building. We walked in and we knew immediately why Elvis left the building because right. it is a uh, uh, one for the ages. Anyway, we're glad to have you here today, Rusty. And we're going to talk about, you know, some of this COVID-19 stuff, but then more generally about video, live video for uh, church, both live and broadcast and just figure out how we can all kind of get better on the video side with some of the things that you've helped churches with and just conversations that a lot of churches are having and questions that are being asked about um, places like Passion and how you guys do stuff so well. Um, So let's just start talking. Lee, what you got? Well, I want to hear some of Rusty's background because I've actually never heard this. So I just get thrown onto gigs the last couple of years with them and we see each other in catering. So like, how did you get into this? What brought you to Passion? And how glad are you that the cruise ship we were on eight weeks ago, no one got sick? <laughs> I think about that often, and that is, that is mind-boggling. One, that we were on a cruise ship then, and two, that we aren't still on it, <laughs> quarantined. Um, yeah, so how I got started. Uh, so Some people know this, and some people might find this surprising. Some people probably find this makes a lot of sense, but I actually have no formal video training at all, like zero. Um, I, uh, I've been doing live production stuff, uh, in church ever since my senior, senior year of high school. So just to date myself a little bit, that would have been 2003, right? Yeah. So 17, I can't do math, 17 years ago. Um, and I started because, uh, it's kind of a funny story. I, our church is building a new building, which I'm sure a lot of people listening are, you know what that's like. We're building a new building. We want to do a new technology kind of new production stuff. Um, and one of the things that we were adding was uh, 
we were still running PowerPoint at that point, but PowerPoint was going to have different words on a screen in the back of the room for the people on stage to look at. So early days of a confidence monitor. And um, at the music minister at the time was looking for someone to help run it. Uh, his daughter was someone that I was pretty interested in and wanted to get to know. So I quickly volunteered to do that job. And uh, <laughs> now here we are and I'm married to his daughter and life's great. Um, so yeah, I started running PowerPoint for our church. And then just in that started learning about, I think at the time we had two cameras. It was the first time we'd ever had cameras. Learned about how to run those cameras, about how to switch. Um, and our old video toaster was the switcher that I first learned on. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, I don't ever get one of those. They're awful. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think I just found something that I love doing. Found something that I was felt like I was pretty good at. And I uh, met some great people along the way. People that taught me how to do live production, but also some some really good people that taught me how to do film and uh, editing. And I think that kind of balance that I've done over the last 10 or 15 years of live production, but also still doing film and editing work um, has helped kind of shape who I am as a video director. Um, but quickly fast forward, I went to school at University of Georgia, majored in religion, um, was a book nerd, library nerd, and then actually went to seminary and got my Master of Divinity. Um, again, being a library nerd and um, kept doing production all through those, all through school and uh, moved to Atlanta to go to seminary. And that's when Passion City Church started. And so my wife and I felt like it was just perfect timing. God was kind of calling us to find our new church home. And so we um, had had some pretty amazing experiences in college attending Passion Conference and felt like this was something that we should give it, give it a shot. And I uh, just felt at home from the get-go and uh, started out on the actual, like what we call door holder team as the touch team. So if you know me, I'm an introvert and the touch team is the worst place to put me. I do not want to be a host. I don't want to be interacting with people. <laughs> it's um, the worst team for anybody this month. So That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I remember the first gathering we had, uh, first time Passion City Church met, we were on the touch team or what you may call the host team. And uh, we were in this back room at this really cool venue in Atlanta called the Tabernacle. And everybody who was volunteering that day had like brought their bags in and their coats because it was February, it was cold. And so they said, hey, we know like no, nobody is going to like this job, but we need somebody that would just volunteer to stay in this room and kind of be security. And that was like my hand immediately shot up. That's going to be me. <laughs> um, I'll do that. I'll sit here and watch the bags. You guys go meet and greet. You guys go <laughs> touch people. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Uh, but it was an awesome experience, and I, I just uh, met some people and um, met Jonathan Sheehan after a while and kind of told him some of my experience in church production and gotten plugged in uh, with what we were doing at Passion City Church and have been there the last, I guess, 10 years or so. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. And you've got uh, some history with Renewed Vision and ProPresenter also. Yeah. Um, so I obviously have used ProPresenter uh in church production for years, but I was actually on, uh, on the team at Renewed Vision for about a year and a half, um, just stepped away recently, but kind of um, joined the team and helped us get to that Pro 7 launch uh, earlier this year. So that was a, it was a cool experience for me to get to kind of go behind the scenes. Um, I've used ProPresenter a ton, used PVP, all their products a lot, but then go kind of get to see how the sausage was made. It's pretty interesting and to see all the work that goes into it. So yeah, it's a good, good experience. That's really cool. So Rusty is a unicorn in a couple of different ways. First, 
those of you who are still hung up on the fact that he met his wife through church production, it is possible to meet <laughs> girls through serving in production. And you're the only production guy that I know who has a uh, theology based degree. So um, most church production guys think that is uh, impossible as well. So no. uh, reshaping the bell curve one stat at a time. <laughs> Rusty Andrew. <laughs> okay. So, Rusty, obviously. You know, this is April of 2020, and coronavirus has taken over the world, literally. And churches have stopped doing what they normally do, and we're about to hit where almost all 50 states, or we're getting up there, is on shelter in place, and no church is going to be able to meet. So we've seen that kind of ramp up over the last month, and everybody out there is trying to figure out what they're doing for weekend services. And... Video has now taken precedent for every church. For some churches, video was the most important thing before, but for now, um, it's more important for everybody. So what are you guys doing at Passion City Church for this? And I'm just curious how you're approaching this different than a weekend. Yeah, it's, it's I probably hear this word a lot, this unprecedented times, right? It's kind of crazy. Um, it is crazy, finally, that video is the most important thing because my whole career, it's never been. <laughs> the most important thing in church. Yeah, I think, you know, every church has to kind of tackle this differently. For us at Passion, we have, uh, for now, still been able to meet on Sundays, not with not with everybody, just like a select small group of musicians and production team. And we are in an empty room and we push all the chairs out of the way and uh, we treat it more like a studio shoot. Um, I think the first time we did it a few weeks ago, I kind of felt like this is kind of feels like like Saturday Night Live. After the, all the skits have happened, we do the music. It's like a little small set, and we do um, like a little video shoot. Um, so we are all of a sudden overnight becoming a broadcast-focused live stream church. Um, we show up Sunday morning, do some rehearsals, and then we go live to the to the web, um, whatever different you know different platforms that that we're on YouTube or Facebook, a website, and um, we do it a couple times, and we rebroadcast it or leave it on demand for the rest uh, for the, for a day or so. Um, but unlike unlike churches like Bayside, who are pre-recording everything, you're at this point anyway still focusing on it happening in real time live at the first broadcast time. So if your first gathering is at nine a.m. Eastern, that's happening live at this point. You're not doing it earlier in the week or pre-recording other content or whatever. Yeah, that's right. I think there's some stuff we're pre-recording, like some of our kids' content. We'll record that during the week and then just make it available on Sunday. Um, but our actual Sunday gathering, uh, our pastor, Louie, is really, at least for now, because we're able to with the guidelines and the, and the laws that we have in our state that we're currently under, um, just he wants to be able to, I mean, you guys know things are changing literally every hour. New information comes in. And so he just yeah. wants to be able to speak um, to the moment that's actually happening right now. And if just... For, a little afraid of like if we if we record something three days earlier, a lot can happen in three days, and then all of a sudden your message doesn't maybe doesn't hit the right spot. So, um, yeah, we've been blessed to be able to do that so far to be live at nine o'clock, uh, or nine o'clock and then one o'clock, ten o'clock then one o'clock. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> yeah, to be live as much as possible. Part of that is due to the fact that you have a team who can execute really well in that kind of environment. True. I think some churches, some churches who are smaller and maybe have less experienced volunteers look at that and think, well, we need to be live too. 
And one of the things that we've advised is, you know what, if you don't have to be live, you might actually be able to provide a better experience if you take the time earlier in the week to pre-record and then fix some of your flaws in post. That way, the experience that you have when you do broadcast on the weekend is better and more engaging for people. So there's that totally. there's that line that I think some people are trying to ride of, okay, how do I decide which is better? So do you have any advice on even how to decide what, what a church like that should do? No, that's a great point. I mean, I think in any situation, you're always looking at who are the people that we have and what are the strengths of our team? We want to lean on those strengths, right? A passion, we even on a normal Sunday, when there's a, a full room, we're, we're in a situation where we're making changes somewhat up until last minute. Like we may not know what the response song is going to be until after the talk. And so we're used to kind of running in a, we'll figure it out live kind of mode. Um, mm-hmm. But even with that, we'll still have mistakes on our live gathering the past couple of weeks. Then we'll want to clean up in editing before, before we make it on demand um, later. So we still do some editing, but I would say if, um, if, if it's just easier for your people and for their schedules and getting people there to do a, um, a recording earlier in the week. I think that's, that's a great way to do it. And it's a great way to make sure that you're putting your best foot forward and your best product forward. Um, yeah. Especially with worship, right? Cause you could do a hybrid, you could pre-record all your worship, do overdubs if you need to tune the yeah. vocals and then run that as a video out of pro presenter or whatever, and then cut to your live pastor. If he's going, no, I, I need to preach Sunday morning because it, it is real time and it's changing every day. And like our state just went into shelter in place and it's Friday and we already re we already pre-recorded. Yep. Oh no. So, so I think there's options to do both. Yeah. We've even like after last weekend, after we did our live gathering, we all hung out for an hour and recorded five songs just for that off chance where we don't know if we can meet next week. Um, so yeah, maybe we can great. play back some songs, but then, you know, Louis can just do his talk from his living room. So not to give away any secrets, but what do you guys have planned for Easter? Are you doing anything different because it's Easter Sunday? And what is the planning? What's the conversation been around planning for Easter so far? Um, I don't, I'm not in all those conversations, but I know that we're looking at, you know, what kind of set design can we do? That's a complicated question right now. Like where can you get equipment or what rentals can you even get? And loading in a set, like we want to make sure that we're still honoring the guidelines from our state and from our government. You know, if we're going to load in the set, we still want to practice good social distancing. Um, sure. So trying to answer all those questions. What What is something that we can do that looks new, looks different, that's engaging, but it's also all through the all through the scope of what looks engaging through a camera lens, um, which is very different for us at Passion. I would say at Passion, either at church or at conference, it is always first, how does it look, sound, feel in the room? And then second, secondarily, how does it look or in camera or sound in camera or whatever? Um, we're kind of having to flip that on its head and design differently. Yeah, that's that's very interesting because as somebody who's been around Passion since almost the very very beginning, um, that's an interesting shift. And I'm just I'm just sitting here trying to think how would I handle that because it was always about what does it feel like sitting there in the room, and especially in recent history, events like the Good Friday experience, for example, where there's this massive outdoor, you know, 13,000 plus, um, audience, you know, it was, it was really about what it looked like and felt like and how, 
how are we going to display the cross in a majestic way for these people who are here live? So it's just bigger. And, you know, how can we make it as overwhelming as it, as the cross itself is? Okay. How do you translate that to somebody's phone? And what does it look like to talk about things that we love about Easter? If the average person is watching it on a small screen amidst a bunch of other notifications and distractions and other things. It's like, it's, it's a really interesting dilemma. Okay. So this brings me to the questions I was very much looking forward to asking. So to get into this, I'd love to know how you guys are setting up the empty room shoots. If you've moved the cameras or changed camera angles and all that. And then I think based off your answer, I'm going to have some more questions. Okay. Yeah. So selfishly, one of the best things about not having people in the room, is that there's nobody to tell me where I can and cannot put a camera, right? Like I, <laughs> so first thing we did was um, move all the chairs out of the way and we moved cameras about 20 feet away from the downstage edge to get, um, it just feels more intimate and the, and the camera shot when you're closer, uh, there's just different way that at that zoom range that the, that like that people's faces look and just looks like you're closer to them. Um, so we moved cameras up. We, um, Move the dolly art. We have a dolly shot that's like normally a front house. We move that up, put a wide angle lens on it so we can get a really immersive feeling. We uh, moved our jib closer, shortened the shortened the boom on it so it feels more like a studio style jib. Um, we've that was the first thing we did, and then we we've even before all of the COVID nineteen stuff, we've been in this process of trying to transition more towards a cinematic look. So getting away from the broadcast two third gen sensor. And trying to get more into the um, Super 35 cinematic look. And so we're each week trying to take steps, adding another piece, adding another piece. Um, until we can, it's, it's kind of giving us the flexibility right now to, to do that without the limitations of you know, where we can put things. That's interesting. So for people who don't know, as people hear these words like a more cinematic look, can you just take a, a minute and just sort of define for people what's different exactly in terms of, a little bit from the gear, like you said, maybe a different lens or a different speed, but then also just in terms of the way you're cutting, what are the changes that you're thinking about to make it more cinematic versus traditional broadcast? Yeah. One way that I've often thought about it is I think we're really, really trying to go for like a music video in real time. So if you were to watch, I love going on Netflix and watching Taylor Swift's uh, stadium tour or watch Justin Timberlake's, like just go watch these Netflix or any, any concert um, music video. And we're trying to get that look, but live, right? We're not editing it. We're doing it real time. Um, mm-hmm. And so some of the technical stuff is, like I just said, like you're looking for cameras that have a larger sensor. And that's, it's, it's this weird transition right now where the film world um, is coming into live production world. And it's sometimes a little Frankenstein. You have to have to piece things together to make them work right. And for a lot of my friends who are more studio engineer types, like it's frustrating to them because like everything just doesn't work and you have to have how many cables you have to have to connect it to do that. So it's a little complicated, but if you're looking for larger sensors on the camera and that larger sensor does a couple of things that help, helps uh, you to do better in low light situations, which is a more film kind of lighting style or cinematic lighting style. Uh, and then it also uh, allows you to get shallower depth of field. Um, so that those shots of drums, um, like when you uh, churches that do this well, flat irons, Bethel elevation, 
Um, you just have a lot, the background is always a lot softer. It's way more out of focus than we're used to seeing in broadcast world. Um, some of the limitations are that the cameras just have to be closer in general. It's harder to get lensing for some of this film, these film cameras. Um, so it's one of the advantages right now of having nobody in the room is that I can put the cameras closer and not have to go buy really, really expensive glass um, to pull off the same kind of shots. Um, and then there's other things like frame rate, uh, you know, broadcast world is almost always 59.94 interlaced. And from, for our system at Passion, we still have a bunch of stuff, a bunch of gear in line that has to have that. So we're still going to run at that, at that rate. But, um, you know, you could be looking more like a 2398 uh, FPS, which is a way more cinematic look. The movies are all shot that way. It's just a different kind of look and feel. Um, and so I think with some of the cameras we're looking at, we're trying to see, you know, what some cameras offer a, a kind of mock 2398 look, but in a 5994 package. So it plays well with your switcher and router and everything else. And are you guys doing any other video content that will be played during the stream, like a, an interview video or a promotional video about a cause or something like that that's maybe shot in that way that you would have cared about live before, but now you care less about it because it's broadcast only? In other words, mix and match, is that such an issue nowadays, or is it just whatever looks great, whatever feels best is what we're going to do? Yeah, for me, like... I've, I've been in both those worlds for a while now where I've been in the film shoots and you, if you talk to anybody who does film shoots, they will always tell you shoot 2398, 2398. That's what they always shoot. Um, and, and they should, cause it looks better. It looks, it looks just more pleasing uh, when you're shooting interviews or shooting people. Um, and so I think, you know, we've run into some problems where if they actually send it, send it to us in 2398, it doesn't play back well. So we just tell our, our content creators, you can shoot it in that, but then when you export the video, render it at 2997 or 5994 so that it uh, plays well with others. Cool. We just ran into this problem. So we've also just switched over. And we, well, I should say we didn't do video good before this either. So it's not like we had it figured out when it was at 60. But now that we're trying to go all 24, um, we're bringing in some guys, some freelance cinema guys, you know, that shoot weddings and shoot commercial stuff. And they'll come in, well, this happened actually, they came in a couple of weeks ago and set up a uh, color profile on the, the Sony cameras we have. Yeah. So he's just rolling through, putting all the settings he normally puts on them. And then there was one setting on one camera that got bumped. I don't know what it was, but it was, it was variable, whatever, whatever he set it to. And then, like you said, all of our equipment, it wants to see 60. So like we're recording all the decks at 60, even though these cameras are outputting at 24. Well, we go to upload and we check everything and it's fine. But once it hit the encoders and decoders on the stream, that one camera was like, looked like it was 10 frames a second, like right. something weird had happened. And it was dependent on how bright the lights were on stage at that time, whether it would do it or not, because it wasn't doing it sometimes. And the only time we saw it was after it had been encoded. So it's wow. like Interesting. all of the broadcast guys, like you said, that's why they probably get frustrated. It's, yep. it's that kind of stuff along with why can't I just send this giant 20 pound of 20 pound per foot cable to this camera and it get calm and and, sync and, yeah. and, and yeah, all of it. And the meanwhile, we have a $5,000 camera body with 15 cables coming out of it, two monitors, and it's like 
tipping over these tripods because of all the different GAC we have stacked on top of it. Yep. And on your team, you've got a bunch of audio guys trying to troubleshoot it all, which is a dangerous thing. Right, totally. <laughs> yeah. So, like, do you feel like the manufacturers are pivoting and helping this because everybody's trying to do this right now? Like, are we going to see cameras that, okay, here's a here's the camera with the sensor you're wanting that will do low light, and here's one cable that will transfer to that camera everything you want it to? Yeah, they are. Um, Blackmagic, obviously, has, in so many ways, has changed the game. Um, but they... You know, I remember a few years ago when they first announced some of their film cameras and I was in that world a lot at that point and thought, well, this is crazy. Like, how, how can I do all that for that little amount of money? Um, and people have been introducing those into their live broadcasts. But then in the last couple of years, they've been even gone a step further with their uh, Ursa, Pro, Ursa Pros and they sell a broadcast version. So the broadcast version has the same lens mount that all these broadcast lenses take. So you, can, you don't even have to buy a new glass if you want to transition to that. Um, and they also have little adapters you put on the back of them that convert it all to SMPTE. So you can uh, send fiber to the camera and get all that stuff you're talking about, tally, comm, uh, return video, everything on one cable. Uh, and, they've also, and then they came out with their own um, control panels so you can do remote shading. So Blackmagic's one, Panasonic is one that has been in that, they've, they've been in both the broadcast world and the film world for a while and they're starting to marry those two. Um, most most notably, notably with the Vericam system. Um, and that's one of the things that we're looking at going to at Passion is a, a very cam camera system. It's a super 35 sensor. You can get different mounts, lens mounts uh, on it. Uh, but then you can use third-party manufacturers to get uh, the back of it to have fiber. And then you can have a CCU like you would traditionally in your tech core room uh, and then have a remote control panel to remotely shade those as well. Um, so then there's a few. I, I would I would assume Sony's probably not far behind because Sony has a ton of great film cameras and broadcast cameras. I'm interested in some of the others like Hitachi and the Kagami. Like, I don't, I don't know if they really know how to do that or if they will, but um, there's definitely some options out there. And that Vericam will let you change the frame rate without rebooting the camera. Yes. That's the really, really exciting thing about it. Right. Because just to get in some practical things, like I'm curious what your opinion is. Would you want to shoot music or worship at 24 and 30 and then for the talk switch back to 60? Or would you keep the talk at a low frame rate also? Yeah, I think we're still in the really early stages of it. So I want to do some testing on it. I think my gut right now is yes, shoot worship uh, at that mock 24 P look, uh, but then shift the scene file um, before the talk starts. The talking head stuff does seem to, in my opinion, looks a little more um, pleasing when it, when there's more frames. Yeah. It's interesting. And then we're dealing with Facebook who only wants it at 30 or it's going to make it at 30. Once you put it on there anyway. Do you guys have I'm those problems sure. in the audio world? I mean, there's so many standards in video. Yeah, the compression thing for audio is always a it's an issue. It's like, yeah. okay, who who decides what it's going to be and, you know, there's there's not necessarily a consistent standard between everybody. So they've, you know, it's a challenge. It yeah. is. Like live streaming audio YouTube is probably the best. But like on Facebook, it's like it puts a high pass and a low pass filter on the whole thing. So if the band's like, man, this Facebook sounds like dark. I'm like, yeah, check out YouTube. And it's like, oh, there's all the top end. So, yeah, we have our own issues. And even the way they handle loudness is different from from place to place in terms like, you know, in terms of the way they do the compression to normalize everything. It'll sound louder on one 
service than another sometimes. And that's, you know, so we get questions all the time from people about, well, how should I export it then if I'm not the one who decides how this is going to sound at the end? And it's, it's, it can be frustrating. So talk about from the switcher perspective, going from a broadcast style of switching music to this more cinematic music video style. What things are you thinking about with camera shots, framing, and then how you're actually switching that? Yeah. Um, I think a few things switcher wise. I, when I, when I first started in like, a broadcast video, everything was all iMac, right? Image magnification. And the whole point of cameras in the room was that you had a big room and you had people sitting in the back that couldn't really get a good view of the stage. So you want to magnify the speaker's face as big as possible, put it on this massive screen. And um, that way people in the back room can see it and it made a lot of sense, right? You, you want to be able to connect with people on stage. So much of what we communicate is, is nonverbal. It's in um, our facial expressions. It's in our body language. And so iMag was important to help people kind of get a sense of what was what was happening and what was being communicated from the stage. And that was at a time when nobody was really thinking about live streaming at all. The exactly. only people who were quote broadcasting were if you had a TV broadcast of your worship service. Right. And that was only a select few, you know, in Atlanta, there might've been two or three that had any sort of television exposure at all. Right. So it was just a different, a different time altogether. You didn't even have to think about what it was going to look like yep. to a viewer other than who was in the room. Right. It was a good solution for the problem that was there at the time, but the problem has changed. And the problem now is, like you said earlier, I'm, I'm watching my iPhone in my living room or, or in so many churches, I'm watching in overflow space. I'm not in the main sanctuary or auditorium. I'm in a, I'm in a, you know, overflow room. And so the problem really became, you know, if we're only showing tight shots, are we really communicating the story of what's happening? Are we, are we missing out on something? And you know, over time you, you really start to realize, yeah, you are like, I often tell people like, get out of front of house, go stand somewhere else, go walk in the back of the room, go walk in the front of the room, go to the overflow space and see what it feels like. You're just watching what you're doing. And if you're just watching a bunch of tight shots, um, you're really not telling the story of what's happening uh, with your scenic design, with your rig or with the room in general. I always remember, um, I don't know, maybe Passion 2014, 2015, one of my earliest times directing Passion Conference. You know, we're at that point, we're in, a, we're in an arena, there's 15,000 people. And I, I'm still coming from the mindset of IMAG at that point. And our, at that point, director of production, Jonathan Sheehan, kind of helped me understand it in a new way. He said, um, he, he wanted to see more wide shots on the screen. And I was just like, I don't understand. Like, why do you want to see wide shots? And he explained it in such a way that was, you know, I understand if you're in the back, you just see tight, but there's a bunch of people that are sitting on the front row. If you're sitting on the front row, you can see the tight shots through your eye. But what you can't see, what you can't experience, is the 15,000 people around you that are worshiping. You can't, you don't get the, the communal part of it. Um, and that really changed my perspective. It's like both those stories are important to tell. The tight shots, the expressions on the face, um, but also what's happening in the room at large. And also what's happening with like the lighting designer. The lighting designer is doing stuff with the lights that, uh, that fit the moment, that fit the energy. And part of my job as a, as a visual storyteller for video directing is to help show that. So if there's going to be a light sweep at a certain moment, I want to try to get wide so I can see that light sweep. Um, so the person who's watching on, on their TV at home or an overflow space gets a sense of that uh, as well. If there's that's really good, yeah, there's a lot of LED walls now as backdrops, and we'll put content on the LED wall. 
And if there's a certain part of the song where there's like a big word on the LED wall, I want to go wide so I can see that um, and have the other people be able to get that same experience. It's all about telling the story of what's happening on stage. And that story um, is best told through a variety of different angles and frames and um, shot selection. So I just, uh, while you were telling that story, I went and looked at uh, Hillsong United. They reposted the moment that you were behind the switcher at New Year's Eve at Passion, right? Yep. So they just reposted, not just reposted. That night they posted about it. The next day they did. And then maybe one or two times since then, they've also reposted. And by the way, you did a freaking fantastic job. I mean, it's unbelievable watching that. It's like, I don't know how you don't get chills, like watching how all that happened, synced up. I mean, there's a lot of people on the team and we did an episode on how all that was synced up. But just the storytelling of that is incredible. But how many people were in that room? Like 70,000? Yeah, 65, I think. Right. So just with their Instagram post, that video has been viewed almost a half a million times. Wow. So then you go, well, no, we're, what we're doing right now is actually for everyone else, just as right. much as it is to people in the room. Yeah. Despite the fact that there were 65,000 people in the room, that's a huge, I mean, that's the hugest crowd we've ever had. But even in that, that's too small of a lens to filter everything through. Right. I will say the the thing that's most compelling to me about that particular shot and that scene is that watching it back through those posts is just as compelling in a lot of ways as what it felt like being in the room. Obviously in the room, you had the sound of the PA and the energy and the fact that it was actually New Year's Eve and we're all counting down and all that. But in terms of the look and the feel of what you see in, in the reposting, it's super engaging and just as compelling in in most ways yeah. than the experience was live. So I agree with Lee. Great, great job. I posted, I don't post a ton on Instagram. I'm trying to get better, but I posted a little video of the multi-view of that moment. And it was fun, one, to relive it and rethink it. Because in the moment, you just, you're just kind of overwhelmed by it all. <laughs> you're just like, you know, just holding on to the roller coaster, not to try not to fall out. Um, but to go back and watch it, one, I saw like, wow, it's a lot of, a lot of really good shots. I did not see in the moment that I missed. Um, <laughs> but I agree. It was fun to like go back and a bunch of people saw it online and were like one blown away by like what we do. Like I'm sitting, I'm looking at basically 20 different camera, 20 different TVs at one time trying to decide what to do. Um, but if, if afterwards it feels like you can feel what was happening and you can understand and get the story and that's what we're shooting for. Well, you nailed it, so good job. <laughs> okay, I have more very practical questions. Okay. Okay, so churches all over the world right now are shooting their pastor for online, and their pastors are looking straight into the camera. What is your feeling on cutting away from just the standard front shot, whether that's waist up or like shoulder up shot during a talk? Like, do you do that? Not that much. Do you put the ca- another camera at forty five with some movement on it? Like, what's your personal opinion on that? Because um, let me give some more context. I've yeah. had people recently say, "I'd rather it just be one shot and it never go away." And then I've heard people say, "If it cuts too much, you stop thinking about what they're saying and you think about the different shot." Yeah, the the approach I like to say. I mean, I remember early on, this is the wrong way to do it. Uh, we used to. Um, 
kind of think about, well, I've been on this shot for five minutes. Maybe I should cut away. Maybe the camera needs a break. That's the wrong way to do it. Like we just need to have the ability to, if you need to be live for 30 minutes, you're live for 30 minutes. That's something that's not easy to do, but we can work towards it. Um, but I think what the way I've started thinking about it lately is if, if I'm trying to decide how to cut something, maybe the best way to say it is I let the content dictate the cut. I'm not as a director dictating what the cut should be. Um, so if I'm shooting our pastor and he's in a very, um, you know, intimate moment or he's in like a moment where he's just preaching and he's, he's not moving much then I want to be as tight as I can for as long as I can. If my pastor then starts having more motions, like his hands are outside of the frame a lot or his hands are above his head a lot, then I want to cut wide, like head to toe, so I can get that information because he's communicating through his hands and through how he's moving his body. So I want to show that if it's necessary. If my pastor has a TV on stage with him, I want to show that. Um, that's dictating when I take that shot is when he's referencing that TV. Um, and then if, if there's an audience reaction, um, laughter, or if the pastor sometimes is like pointing to people in the audience or talking about the audience, I want to, I want to show that through a wide shot, but in some way. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not thinking about, I want to cut wide so that someone doesn't get bored. I'm thinking which shot is going to best tell the story of what my pastor is trying to do right now. Is he, um, and, and right now, since words, no, but nobody in the room is kind of changing things because, uh, if you're shooting a pastor or a speaker, who's addressing mainly the people in the room, they really, really look at the camera. They may, if you have an overflow space or a second location, but they're mostly talking to people in the room. So they're never going to look straight into the lens. Well, now during this whole season, there's nobody in the room. So the pastor should be looking directly into the camera lens. And if you can, you should have tally lights facing the pastor so that as you cut, they can change where they're looking. Um, because if you're watching at home and the, the pastor's eyes aren't looking straight at you, it's, it's very obvious and it's kind of distracting. So um, but even, even now with, uh, with what we're doing, I think we have basically three cameras for the talk that we mostly use, um, cause we're not showing wide rim shots right now. Cause there's nobody in the room. Um, but I don't want to cut a ton cause I don't want to distract my pastor with the red light bouncing between cameras, but I, I do want to still follow the same rules. So if he's, uh, if he's, you know, kind of feet are planted and he's talking about something really emphatically or just really personally, I want to be tight. And then as he moves and he gets more animated in his motions, I want to go wide to show that. And I think after a while, you get in a good rhythm and you kind of both know uh, what the other person's going to do. And it starts to work pretty well. Such great advice. That is gold for so many people, man. That's going to be very helpful. Okay, I'm going to throw another curveball at you. So I'm a church in middle of the country, 300 people. I have a day job, but I'm like the church's volunteer tech guy. I'm, I'm the one responsible for it. We don't have any cameras, and now we have to put our services online. We'll, we'll probably just put them on Facebook and YouTube. How would you capture that? What type of camera would you go buy help? I mean, I, mean, I think first I would want to ask the question, and I, I, I pose this question to any church I talk to that wants to get into the world of cameras. I want to make sure, like, first, why? Is it the right thing to do? Um, I think right now there's probably a lot of churches who feel like they have to go online because they have to keep pace with everybody else. And I would just say, maybe the pastoral side of me coming out, like you can feel the freedom not to do that. There's tons of different ways to interact with your people um, through Instagram Live, just from your phone or Zoom calls. I mean, our church is doing community groups still through Zoom calls and it's awesome. And, you know, we, we all get together and 
there's 50 people on that computer screen right now and we can still communicate. So one, I'll just make sure the why is right. Like don't do it just because the church down the street's doing it. Um, is it the best solution for your, for your and your people? And it very well may be. And if you are, um, I think it's okay to start small. It's okay to start with uh, a pretty standard um, camera that's just, you know, built in, has the, has the lens attached to it. Um, you can get something pretty, pretty simple. Uh, depending on what your system is, like if you have a switcher that takes HDMI, then probably get a camera that has HDMI out. If you have a switcher that prefers SDI, save yourself some headache and get a camera that has SDI output. Um, so you can go straight into your, if you have a switcher or um, if you're going like streaming from a laptop, then, you know, I guess find the camera that is going to give you the less, least amount of headaches trying to get it connected and getting it uploaded. Um, but if you have one camera, I'd probably just kind of do like a stage wide shot uh, if I could. Um, and then for the worship. And then if I had the ability, I think it'd probably be nice to maybe go to a graphic before the pastor comes up and then zoom that shot in a little bit. Uh, maybe not zoom it live if you can get away with it. But then when you come back out of that graphic, it's a little bit tighter. So maybe head to toe on the pastor or waist up if you think you've got the, the ability to follow him and, and still make it clean. But yeah, I don't know if that's helpful or not. But Oh, that's super helpful. That's really good. So along those same lines, what if we're in a situation where we have to be a little more extreme in our shelter-in-place orders, or we only have the ability for maybe the pastor themselves to shoot themselves communicating from home? Any tips on what if I only have an iPhone? Like if I want to still be able to communicate, and I think to your point a minute ago, I think it might be a great challenge for some churches to go, hey, there are other communicators out there who are doing a phenomenal job. What if I pointed my people to them for the actual message, and I focused on just communicating what I need to my congregation on a smaller scale, smaller way, more community-based, more intimate? What an exercise in humility for me as a pastor to not think I have to deliver everything to my congregation, but I'm going to deliver the essentials send them to small groups via Zoom, you know, communicate a devotional thought maybe during the week, and then let them watch Elevation or Bethel or Passion or North Point. And, you know, let the guys who are doing this really, really well be the ones who minister to them on a, on a weekend basis. That's incredible. But anyway, that's a digression. For the actual, like, okay, lowest of low tech, I have an iPhone. Please let me help me figure this out. Yeah, so not that an iPhone is low tech, by the way. Right, not but. anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, if you're trying to, I mean, one a step above that would be is, um, you know, if your pastor has room in his house, go set up a light and a camera on a tripod and just get it set so that all he has to do is hit go. And then he can just sit in a spot and give something, give a talk that um, is lit decently well and is has a decent camera shot. So that's one option. Um, but if, if you're in that situation where it's just an iPhone, I think, you know, one, it's, it's thinking about what's your, where are you sending this to? So if you're Instagram live, make it portrait. If you're Facebook or YouTube, make it landscape. Uh, so turn it sideways. Um, little tricks like on the iPhone, if you touch the screen and you hold it on the what, whatever part you want it to focus on, it'll expose to that and it'll lock it. So you won't have the fluctuating light all the time. And then just some small tips, like you want to make sure your whatever's behind you is not brighter in the front of your face. So 
And like right now I have some windows that with blinds that are open that are giving me a nice key light. I don't have an actual key light. I just have natural light. Um, but it looks, I realize this might be a podcast. You can't see what I'm, what I'm saying, but. Oh, it looks, it looks beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> but you can, <laughs> you can situate, situate yourself in the camera so that you still have a, a front light source and that your background is not brighter than your front, than the front of your face. Um, but and I also think that people are just way more forgiving than we let them on. I don't than we think they are. Like, um, I mean, with my kids right now, I'm watching at least once a day some sort of Instagram story time, um, and or we we watch uh, Doodle Time with Mo Willem at the Kennedy Center every every, every day at one o'clock. And it, it's not the most polished thing, and it doesn't look great or sound great, but it's super engaging because right now people are just thirsty to be in be in community, and people are thirsty for engagement. So whatever you can do is going to be um, a blessing for your people. So let's not overthink it if we don't have to. Such a great point. I think that's awesome. And we kind of hit on this, but I want to go back to it. Like we're a really big church, so I don't, this isn't me bragging, but we had staff meeting yesterday on zoom and there's like 275 people on the staff meeting. But if you're a church and your normal service size is three or 400, that's not a bad idea. It's just to yeah. host your entire service on Zoom, send out the password and secure that. Right. And um, and then you have church and your pastor can see every single person's face. There's a chat. People can talk to each other. That may be a way better experience that. than filming in an empty room and then putting on that online and hoping people are watching on the other side. Yeah. We, we've even... Our community groups, you can, I don't know what your account allows you to do this, but you can set up breakout rooms in Zoom. So we'll all come together, you know, a hundred of us, and then um, the host will split us up into smaller groups so we can have more private and more intimate conversation. And it's awesome that we're able to do that, even though we're all in our, in our own homes. Okay, so one thing we haven't talked about yet is the idea of camera movement during uh, the way you're shooting. So you'd mentioned a dolly and, and a jib and some other things that you guys have in place. But as a director, what are you thinking about in terms of how much movement, how little movement, how often, what, what does that thought process look like? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, I think one of the most important things about this whole shift or transition to more cinematic music video style, um, live video. And I think in my research, as I watch things, as I just investigate what other people are doing, there's just a, a, a big drastic um, drop down in how many basically tripods we have in the shoot. So I think historically in broadcast world, you know, you have a ton of tripods because they're, they're pretty, they're stable. They look, they look good. Um, but as we get more into like cinematic style, a tripod is like probably the least frequent thing that you would ever use to shoot, um, to shoot with. It's much more hand, handheld style. Uh, and then other kind of smooth movements like jibs, dollies, um, steady cams, or movies is a cheaper way to do that. Um, so that, that's those are the kind of things that I'm looking for as a director. Um, so we've we've kind of transitioned to we only have one tripod, and really that's only because we are you know half of our gathering is a talking head, and so it's important to have a tripod for that and to have a good one um, to follow your 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 pastor around. But when we're in, in worship or music mode. Um, uh, I want to have as much camera movement as possible. And uh, if I can't afford it, I want to get smooth movement. So um, dollies um, or kind of uh, sliders is like a smaller way to do a dolly. So you can get like a little three foot, five foot sliders. You put a camera on it. Uh, a jib is great. Um, wire cams are awesome these days. And it's pretty easy these days to get 
uh, wire cam from uh, the guys at Defy. They do a great job, Dactyl Cam. And you can fly a camera in your room and have it zip across at high speeds and looks awesome. Um, and then also handheld movement is, is key. And I think even one of the things I've, I've been training and trying to teach our handheld camera operators is that there's good handheld movement and there's bad handheld movement, right? And what I would say to people is, if I'm, if I'm holding a camera, but my feet don't ever move, um, or my kind of like my, you know, my hips don't move at all, then I'm basically a tripod. I'm just a human tripod who's pointing the lens in different places. Um, I'm just panning and tilting. And the whole reason I took the camera off the tripod is so that the actual camera can move in XY space. And so I want you um, holding the camera close to your body for one, so that gives you a, a strong foundation to not have shaky camera. Um, but holding close to your body, I want your body to move with the camera while you're live. And I want your feet to move a little bit. And I want the actual um, camera to move in relation to how far it is off the ground. Um, so yeah, it's just, again, that moving the, basically I wanna make sure I'm moving the camera sensor in XY space not just tilting or panning the lens back and forth. Um, and then we've also started doing, um, now that we can, now that there's nobody in the room right now, it, you can put cameras wherever you want. And so we'll have camera operators out on the middle of the stage, or we'll, we'll have a camera on a movie, which is like a, a gimbal stabilizing system. And we'll have them run out on the stage, right into the middle of the stage while they're, while that shot is live. And if you're the viewer, you don't know that you can't see them. You just see the actual camera shot, but, gives you a ton of flexibility of where to, where to put things and get some, get some great movement. Um, and then the, probably the other hard part about adding camera movement is it's kind of distracting if you cut from handheld to handheld to dolly to jib, and then you cut to a static tripod. It kind of drains all the energy out of your, out of your cut. And so we're having to relearn how do we operate a tripod when we're in music mode. And that means the camera um, on the tripod is never, never stops moving. It is, all the time panning up and uh, panning left to right. It's playing with headroom. If the worship leader raises their hand, I'm going to tilt up to show their hand. Um, and if you were to look at uh, like a, a camera ISO of our camera one tripod right now, the literally the camera never stops. It is always moving. The person in the frame is moving from left to right. And so that way, when I cut to that camera for, for that brief second or two, it kind of matches the energy and matches uh, the feeling of all the other cameras. Oh my gosh, I'm learning so much. This I, is can awesome. I add can I add to that? I, I know that this may be a heartbreaker for a lot of small churches. And I understand that when you have a low budget, you feel like if I can get a lot of POs, POV shots or PTZs, it's going to give me more. I think those static POV shots where you just stick the little camera by the keys or by the drums uh, and, then the, and then the robotic PTZs, I can do more with a good handheld op than I can with five of those. So it feels like, oh, I can get five for the price of one, but those five shots are just not dynamic. And I want to, when I'm looking at video, I want every frame of the shot to be engaging, to be pretty, to be beautiful, to be uh, telling the story. And um, for me personally, like I'd rather have one manned, manned camera than I would 10 POV shots. Um, just something to think about. Okay. So on that point, can you talk for a little bit about volunteer training? and how you communicate that stuff to somebody who isn't a you know pre-trained camera op and they're not a professional what does your training process look like especially for handheld ops to communicate those kind of things and how do they practice yeah training for video is it's maybe the most important thing i often say that um not to not to diss you guys but audio guys you are 
dependent on musicians who are hopefully have trained, have practiced all week, right? They don't always practice, but hopefully they show up and they're ready to go and they know their parts and they can, they give you good things to mix. A lighting guy is all, I mean, they have the easiest job. It's just robotic lights that do what they tell them to do, you know, like, and don't piss off the video director. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But as a video director, like I'm completely relying on my three or five or eight camera operators who are there that day, who most likely this is the, you know, the only time they touch a camera all week. Um, They sit behind a desk doing something else the rest of the week. So they're not professionals. The only training they have is a training that I gave them. And um, so while I'm dependent on them to give me good shots to, to direct, they're like, if they're not giving me anything good, it's really my fault as the video director because I haven't given them the, what they need to, to do their job well. Um, so, I, you know, training is, is important. And it's also even more than the training. I think I don't want to have to keep training new people all the time. I want people to stay on as long as possible. And that's only going to happen if they feel invested in, if they feel cared for, um, if they feel like what they're doing is making a difference. And that's all about how I lead them um, to make sure that they're feeling that. Um, But the actual like practical training part, you know, we will once a quarter or so as much as I can get people in to do hands-on training. Um, It's just one of those things where you've just got to put your hands on the camera, hands on the tripod and, um, to get it, it's like muscle memory. It helps you get better at it the more that you do it. Um, so we'll do hands-on training. I'll, it, at those trainings, I want to make sure that someone who is one of our star door holders or volunteers is helping to lead that if I can't lead it. Um, I want them to see. It's, it's important to make make sure people know what the win is. And so for my tripod operators, um, just a few weeks ago, we're talking about the whole, you know, a stick camera never stops moving. Um, that we had couple weeks ago, an operator who did a really exceptional job at that new style that we're trying to do. And so I went and pulled his recording and just got like a 50, 30 second clip of his camera and posted it on um, like a private you know message to all of our camera operators and said, Hey, here's what we're looking for. Like This guy Karthik did awesome. Um, and it was helpful for people to see just his camera uh, and what, what it was supposed to do. Because now if I, if I visually can see what you want me to do, it's more likely that I can actually pull it off. Um, multi-view, really good. yeah, multi-view recordings are awesome too. If you have the capability to record your multi-view, especially if you can get the calm into it, um, it's a great resource to watch back as a team because then each person can see all the other cameras and what they were doing at that moment. Um, and then you can help people realize like, oh, we're duplicating this one shot three times. Um, and as a director, I can do a better job of helping direct traffic or as an operator, they can do a better job of knowing you know, if, if a certain shot is live, I want to make sure my shot complements that and doesn't copy it. Um, yeah, so I think it's all those things. It's hands-on. It's staying in communication with them. Um, if they only touch it or think about it once a week, it's going to be hard for them to get really good at it. So communicate with them during the week. Give them resources. Send them links to things that look good, that, that are, you know, are what you're trying to accomplish. Um, and then just have a lot of grace. Have a lot of grace because I think – for video directors, we're talking a lot. We're talking really fast. Um, and in the moment, it can feel like we're biting somebody's head off. And you need to make sure you're not, make sure people don't feel like you're biting their head off a lot and that you're giving them a ton of grace and a ton of love. And uh, we're just all here to do the best thing that we can. That's a great way to end it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rusty, for being here. I learned a lot and I know uh, our audience did too. It's amazing. Thanks so much. We love hearing from you and we love kind of the heart behind what passion is doing and has done and 
just how much of an influencer they've been for so many of us. And so, you know, just pass that on to the rest of the team for us. Just, um, you know, we're, we're praying for you guys and, you know, feel like we're in this with you in, in a lot of ways that we may not have ever felt like before because we're all kind of in the same boat now. So, um, it's, it's great. Great to have you here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And I want to put some pressure on you. So we started off doing audio and then we said, Hey, you know, we should probably add lighting. So we called Daniel Cannell to uh, be our lighting guy. So if we want to add video to this whole rodeo, which we kind of already have, <laughs> how do you feel about being a part of that? Yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk more about that. I think it's great. I wanted to say to you guys, I mean, I know Jeff, you and I had talked a long time, a while back about your whole transition in Sonnet House. And I think it's honestly amazing what God has brought together with you guys for this moment in history for the church. And like what you guys are providing is, is incredible. And um, I don't think it's a coincidence at all. So all that said, like, I would love to, if, if there's a way that I could um, be helpful for you guys and be helpful for the church, that's what I'm all about. It's what my favorite thing to do is to talk to churches and help them. So, Oh, there's lots of ways, believe me. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to hold you to that and keep you on the hook. That's great. Awesome. Well, this is, this has been great for those of you who, um, are, in this fight with us you know we know the struggle is real um our live events have been postponed but we will have information forthcoming on the website to continue to register for chicago which is going to be august 25th and 26th first day is for audio second day for lighting same venue same setup uh some of the same people and so if you uh have only experienced us in an mxu live audio setting you're going to want to definitely come for day two in Chicago because Daniel Cannell and some other special guests are going to be there to talk about all things lighting. And so we can't wait. Um, and man, I just pray that we're, <laughs> we're through all this craziness by then. Cause if I'm still stuck at home in August, I'm going to be one unhappy camper. No joke. All right, Rusty, we're gonna have to do this again. That was way too good just for one episode. Cool. Yeah. We have to. All right. We'll see you guys later. Thanks everybody. <laughs>